Section forty three of Grey's Anatomy, Part three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shirley von Wallichem. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part three, by Henry Grey. The Lymphatic System, Introduction. The lymphatic system consists one of complex capillary networks which collect the lymph in the various organs and tissues two of an elaborate system of collecting vessels which conduct the lymph from the capillaries to the large veins of the neck at the junction of the internal jugular and subclavian veins where the lymph is poured into the blood-stream and three lymph glands or nodes which are interspaced in the pathways of the collecting vessels, filtering the lymph as it passes through them, and contributing lymphocytes to it. The lymphatic capillaries and collecting vessels are lined throughout by a continuous layer of endothelial cells, forming thus a closed system. The lymphatic vessels of the small intestine receive the special designation of lacteals, or chyliferous vessels, they differ in no respect from the lymphatic vessels, generally excepting that, during the process of digestion, they contain a milk-white fluid, the chyle. The Development of the Lymphatic Vessels The lymphatic system begins as a series of sacs at the point of junction of certain of the embryonic veins. These lymph sacs are developed by the confluence of numerous venous capillaries, which at first lose their connections with the venous system, but subsequently, on the formation of the sacs, regain them. The lymphatic system is therefore developmentally an offshoot of the venous system, and the lining walls of its vessels are always endothelial. In a human embryo, the lymph sacs from which the lymphatic vessels are derived are six in number, two paired, the jugular and the posterior lymph sacs, and two unpaired, the retroperitoneal and the cisterna chile. In lower mammals an additional pair, subclavian, is present, but in the human embryo these are merely extensions of the jugular sacs. The position of the sacs is as follows. 1. Jugular sac, the first to appear at the junction of the subclavian vein with the primitive jugular. 2. Posterior sac, at the junction of the iliac vein with the cardinal. 3. Retroperitoneal, and the root of the mesentery near the suprarenal glands. 4. Cisterna chile, opposite the third and fourth lumbar vertebrae. From the lymph sacs, the lymphatic vessels bud out along fixed lines corresponding more or less closely to the course of the embryonic blood vessels. Both in the body wall and in the wall of the intestine, the deeper plexuses are the first to be developed. By continued growth of these, the vessels in the superficial layers are gradually formed. The thoracic duct is probably formed from anasomosing outgrowths from the jugular sac and cisterna chile. At its connection with the cisterna chile, it is at first double, but the two vessels soon join. All the lymph sacs, except the cisterna chile, are at a later stage divided up by slender connective tissue bridges and transformed into groups of lymph glands. The lower portion of the sterna chile is similarly converted, 
but its upper portion remains as the adult cisterna. Lymphatic capillaries The complex capillary plexuses, which consist of a single layer of thin, flat anatelial cells, lie in the connective tissue spaces in the various regions of the body to which they are distributed and are bathed by the intercellular tissue fluids. Two views are at present held as to the mode in which the lymph is formed, one being by the physical processes of filtration, diffusion and osmosis, and the other that in addition to these physical processes the endothelial cells have an active secretory function. The colourless liquid lymph has about the same composition as a blood plasma. It contains many lymphocytes and frequently red blood corpuscles. Granules and bacteria are also taken up by the lymph from the connective tissue spaces, partly by the action of lymphocytes, which pass into the lymph between the endothelial cells, and partly by the direct passage of the granules through the endothelial cells. The lymphatic capillary plexuses vary greatly in form. The anastomoses are usually numerous. Blind ends, or cul de sacs, are especially common in the intestinal villi, the dermal papillae, and the filiform papillae of the tongue. The plexuses are often in two layers, a superficial and a deep, the superficial being of smaller calibre than the deep. The calibre, however, varies greatly in a given plexus from a few micromillimetres to one millimetre. The capillaries are without valves. Distribution The skin Lymphatic capillaries are abundant in the dermis, where they form superficial and deep plexuses, the former sending blind ends into the dermal papillae. The plexuses are especially rich over the palmar surface of the hands and fingers, and over the plantar surface of the feet and toes. The epidermis is without capillaries. The conjunctiva has an especially rich plexus. The subcutaneous tissue is without capillaries. The tendons of striated muscle and muscle sheaths are richly supplied. In muscle, however, their existence is still disputed. The periosteum of bone is richly supplied, and they have been described the Havisian canals. They are absent in cartilage and probably in bone marrow. The joint capsules are richly supplied with lymphatic capillaries. They do not, however, open into the joint cavities. Beneath the mesothelian lining of the pleural, peritoneal, and pericardial cavities are rich plexuses. They do not open into these cavities. The alimentary canal is supplied with rich plexuses beneath the epithelium, often as a superficial plexus, and the mucosa and the deeper submucosal plexus. Cul-de-sacs extend into the filiform papillae of the tongue and the villi of the small intestine. Those portions of the alimentary canal covered by peritoneum have in addition a subserous lymphatic capillary plexus beneath the mesothelium. The salivary glands are supplied with lymphatic capillaries. The liver has a rich subserous plexus in the capsule and also extensive plexuses which accompany the hepatic artery and portal vein. The lymphatic capillaries have not been followed into the liver lobules. The lymph from the liver forms a large part of that which flows through the thoracic duct. 
the gallbladder and bile ducts have rich subepithelial plexuses and the former a subserous plexus the spleen has a rich subserous set and a capsular set of lymphatic capillaries their presence in the parenchyma is uncertain the nasal cavity has extensive capillary plexuses in the mucosa and submucosa the trachea and bronchi have plexuses in the mucosa and submucosa but the smaller bronchi have only a single layer the capillaries do not extend to the air cells the plexuses around the smaller bronchi connect with the rich subserous plexus of the lungs in places where the veins reach the surface lymphatics have been described in the thyroid gland and in the thymus the adrenal has a superficial plexus divided into two layers one in the loose tissue above the gland and the other beneath the capsule capillaries have also been described within the parenchyma the kidney is supplied with a coarse subserous plexus and a deeper plexus of finer capillaries in the capsule lymphatics have been described within the substance of the kidney surrounding the tubules the urinary bladder has rich plexus of lymphatic capillaries just beneath the epithelial lining also a subserous set which anastomoses with the former through the muscle layer the submucous plexus is continuous with the submucous plexus of the urethra the prostate has a rich lymphatic plexus surrounding the gland and a wide meshed subcapsular plexus the testes has a rich superficial plexus beneath the tunica albuginea the presence of deep lymphatics is disputed the uterus is provided with a subserous plexus the deep lymphatics are uncertain subepithelial plexuses are found in the vagina the ovary has a rich superficial plexus and a deep interstitial plexus the heart has a rich subserous plexus beneath the epicardium lymphatic capillaries have also been described beneath the endocardium and throughout the muscle lymphatic capillaries are probably absent in the central nervous system the meninges the eyeball except the conjunctiva the orbit the internal ear within striated muscle the liver lobule the spleen pulp and kidney parenchyma they are entirely absent in cartilage in many places further investigation is needed lymphatic vessels the lymphatic vessels are exceedingly delicate and their coats are so transparent that the fluid they contain is readily seen through them they are interrupted at intervals by constrictions which give them a knotted or beaded appearance these constrictions correspond to the situations of valves in their interior lymphatic vessels have been found in nearly every texture and organ of the body which contains blood vessels such non-vascular structures as cartilage the nails cuticle and hair have none but with these exceptions it is probable that eventually all parts will be found to be permeated by these vessels structure of lymphatic vessels the larger lymphatic vessels are each composed of three coats the internal coat is thin transparent slightly elastic and consists of a layer of elongated endothelial cells with wavy margins by which the contiguous cells are dovetailed into one another the cells are supported on an elastic membrane the middle coat 
is composed of smooth muscular and fine elastic fibres, disposed in a transverse direction. The external coat consists of connective tissue, intermixed with smooth muscular fibres, longitudinally or obliquely disposed. It forms a protective covering to the other coats, and serves to connect the vessel with the neighbouring structures. In the smaller vessels there are no muscular or elastic fibres, and the wall consists only of a connective tissue coat, lined by endothelium. The thoracic duct has a more complex structure than the other lymphatic vessels. It presents a distinct subendothelial layer of branched corpuscles, similar to that found in the arteries. In the middle coat there is, in addition to the muscular and elastic fibres, a layer of connective tissue, with its fibres arranged longitudinally. The lymphatic vessels are supplied by nutrient vessels, which are distributed to their outer and middle coats, and here also have been traced many non-modulated nerves in the form of a fine plexus of fibrils. The valves of the lymphatic vessels are formed of thin layers of fibrous tissue covered on both surfaces by endothelium, which presents the same arrangement as on the valves of veins. In form, the valves are semilunar. They are attached by their convex edges to the wall of the vessel, the concave edges being free and directed along the course of the contained current. Usually two such valves of equal size are found opposite to one another, but occasionally exceptions occur, especially at or near the anastomosis of lymphatic vessels. Thus, one valve may be of small size and the other increased in proportion. In the lymphatic vessels, the valves are placed at much shorter intervals than in the veins. They are most numerous near the lymph glands, and are found more frequently in the lymphatic vessels of the neck and upper extremity than in those of the lower extremity. The wall of the lymphatic vessel immediately above the point of attachment of each segment of a valve is expanded into a pouch or sinus, which gives to these vessels, when distended, the knotted or beaded appearance already referred to. Valves are wanting in the vessels composing the plexiform network, in which the lymphatic vessels usually originate on the surface of the body. Lymph glands, lymphoglandulae. The lymph glands are small, oval, or bean-shaped bodies, situated in the course of lymphatic and lacteal vessels, so that lymph and chyle pass through them on their way to the blood. Each generally presents on one side a slight depression, the hylus, through which the blood vessels enter and leave the interior. The efferent lymphatic vessel also emerges from the gland at this spot, while the afferent vessels enter the organ at different parts of the periphery. On section, a lymph gland displays two different structures, an external, of lighter colour, the cortical, and an internal, darker, the medullary. The cortical structure does not form a complete investment, but is deficient at the hylus, where the medullary portion reaches the surface of the gland, so that the efferent vessel is derived directly from the medullary structures, while the afferent vessels empty themselves into the cortical substance. Structure of lymph glands A lymph gland consists of one, a virus envelope, or capsule, from which a framework of processes, 
trabeculae, proceeds inward, imperfectly dividing the gland into open spaces freely communicating with each other. 2. A quantity of lymphoid tissue occupying these spaces without completely filling them. 3. A free supply of blood vessels, which are supported in the trabeculae. And 4. The afferent and afferent vessels, communicating through the lymph paths in the substance of the gland. The nerves passing into the hyalus are few in number, and are chiefly distributed to the blood vessels supplying the gland. The capsule is composed of connective tissue, with some plain muscle fibres, and from its internal surface are given off a number of membranous processes, or trabeculae, consisting, in man, of connective tissue, with a small admixture of plain muscle fibres, but in many of the lower animals, composed almost entirely of involuntary muscle. They pass inward, radiating toward the centre of the gland, for a certain distance, that is to say, for about one-third, or one-fourth of the space between the circumference and the centre of the gland. In some animals they are sufficiently well marked to divide the peripheral or cortical portion of the gland into a number of compartments, so-called follicles, but in man this arrangement is not obvious. The larger trabeculae springing from the capsule break up into finer bands, and these interlace to form a meshwork in the central or medullary portion of the gland. In these spaces formed by the interlacing trabeculae is contained the proper gland substance or lymphoid tissue. The gland pulp does not, however, completely fill the spaces, but leaves between its outer margin and the enclosing trabeculae, a channel or space of uniform width throughout. This is termed the lymph path, or lymph sinus. Running across it are a number of finer trabeculae of retiform connective tissue, the fibres of which are, for the most part, covered by ramifying cells. On account of the peculiar arrangement of the framework of the organ, the gland pulp in the cortical portion is exposed in the form of nodules, and in the medullary part in the form of rounded cords. It consists of ordinary lymphoid tissue, being made up of a delicate network of retiform tissue, which is continuous with that in the lymph paths, but marked off from it by a closer reticulation. It is probable, moreover, that the reticular tissue of the gland pulp and the lymph paths is continuous with that of the trabeculae and ultimately with that of the capsule of the gland. In its smashes, in the nodules and cords of lymphoid tissue, are closely packed lymph corpuscles. The gland pulp is traversed by a dense plexus of capillary blood vessels. The nodules or follicles in the cortical portion of the gland frequently show, in their centres, areas where karyokinetic figures indicate the division of the lymph corpuscles. These areas are termed germ centres. The cells composing them have more abundant protoplasm than the peripheral cells. The afferent vessels, as stated above, enter at all parts of the periphery of the gland, and after branching and forming a dense plexus in the substance of the capsule, open into the lymph sinuses of the cortical part. In doing this, they lose all their coats except their endothelial lining, which is continuous with a layer of similar cells lining the lymph parts. In like manner, the afferent vessel commences from the lymph sinuses of the medullary portion. 
the stream of lymph carried to the gland by the afferent vessels, this passes through the plexus and the capsule to the lymph paths of the cortical portion, where it is exposed to the action of the gland pulp. Flowing through these, it enters the paths or sinuses of the medullary portion, and finally emerges from the hilus by means of the afferent vessel. The stream of lymph in its passage through the lymph sinuses is much retarded by the presence of the reticulum, hence morphological elements, either normal or morbid, are easily arrested and deposited in the sinuses. Many lymph corpuscles pass with the afferent lymph stream to join the general blood stream. The arteries of the gland enter at the hilus, and either go at once to the gland pulp to break up into a capillary plexus, or else run along the trabeculae, partly to supply them, and partly running across the lymph paths, to assist in forming the capillary plexus of the gland pulp. This plexus traverses the lymphoid tissue, but does not enter into the lymph sinuses. From it the veins commence and emerge from the organ at the same place as that at which the arteries enter. The lymphatic vessels are arranged into a superficial and a deep set. On the surface of the body, the superficial lymphatic vessels are placed immediately beneath the integument. Accompanying the superficial veins, they join the deep lymphatic vessels in certain situations by perforating the deep fascia. In the interior of the body, they lie in the submucous areolar tissue throughout the whole length of the digestive, respiratory, and genitourinary tracts, and in the subserous tissue of the thoracic and abdominal walls. Plexiform networks of minute lymphatic vessels are found interspersed among the proper elements and blood vessels of the several tissues. The vessels composing the network, as well as the meshes between them, are much larger than those of the capillary plexus. From these networks, small vessels emerge, which pass either to a neighboring gland or to join some larger lymphatic trunk. The deep lymphatic vessels, fewer in number, but larger than the superficial, accompany the deep blood vessels. Their mode of origin is probably similar to that of the superficial vessels. The lymphatic vessels of any part or organ exceed the veins in number, but in size they are much smaller. Their anastomoses also, especially those of the large trunks, are more frequent, and are effected by vessels equal in diameter to those which they connect, the continuous trunks retaining the same diameter. Hemolymph nodes, or glands, and hemal nodes, which are so abundant in some mammals, are probably not present in man. Lymph Lymph found only in the closed lymphatic vessels is a transparent colourless or slightly yellow watery fluid of specific gravity about 1.015. It closely resembles the blood plasma, but is more dilute. When it is examined under the microscope, leukocytes of the lymphocyte class are found floating in the transparent fluid. They are always increased in number after the passage of the lymph through lymphoid tissue, as in lymph glands. Lymph should be distinguished from tissue fluid, which is found outside the lymphatic vessels in the tissue spaces. End of section 43